And I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. Now with extra dog. Yeah. Mo- Monkey, get out of that. You startled her so much she burped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, darling. This time of year, I always get so nostalgic. Yeah. Because in between uh, our last episode and this one yeah. was the fourth anniversary of our honeymoon. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always nice to like, look through those old pictures and they're like, oh, what were we doing this time on this day? Yeah. Yeah. Well, are you ready to get more nostalgic? I guess. What have you got? We are continuing our Disney series today. Oh, wonderful. And we... I feel like I should have waited like another another five months or so, <laughs> but I can't wait for it to get any older. So we are attacking the animal kingdom today. Att- attacking? Oh my goodness. Yeah, animals go rawr, they have, attack. They have natural defenses. There are tigers in there. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so today we're talking about animal kingdom. Uh, Which is uh, Walt Disney World's fourth theme park. Gate number four. Um, If you don't include like water parks and whatnot. Because that's not a theme park, that's a water park. These are very important (laughs) distinctions. Yes. Uh, Construction on Animal Kingdom started in 1990, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the year after MGM Studios opened. Wow. Uh, Back to back over here. Yeah, which it did not open until 1998. Mm-hmm. So, like, you don't realize how early it actually started. Wow, yeah, that took forever. Yeah. So, it was part of Eisner's Disney decade that we talked about in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, expanding the company, making uh, things bigger, really making uh, Walt Disney World be the resort, mm-hmm. the place for families to go, a place where you would not need to leave for other things like they would have everything (laughs) right so you don't spend your money with anyone else yeah we got your restaurants (laughs) we got your shopping we got your nightlife so i said uh it opened in 1998 on uh april 22nd earth day oh lovely uh which means it is nine or 19 and a half years old right now it will be (laughs) celebrating its 20th year this april i should have held out till then but can't have everything. That's okay. We'll, we'll just get to repost this on the actual day yeah. of the anniversary. Yeah. Uh, it is the largest theme park in the world. Whoa. With 580 acres. <laughs> uh, and it costs... My n- feet are barking the end of the day. It costs nearly $1 billion to build. <laughs> it has um, 1,700 animals uh, mm-hmm. representing 250 species within the park. In these numbers, do they count species native to Florida that just, like, show up? Like Or, like, the migrating birds? Exactly. No, I yeah. don't think so. I think okay. this is, like, ones that, like, live, they're, they they care for, they they count. They're, they're chipped, they're spreadsheeted. Yes. All right. Yes, All right. They're, they're numbered, so, like, mm-hmm. yes, Flamingo That's 70 our flamingo. to Fred... Did eat his shrimp today. That's that's not some drifter flamingo yes, that we're not yes. responsible for. Which is probably actually something that they, like, do pay attention to. I mean, because, you have to, right? I mean, well, that's got to also, like, you want to make sure you're, the amount of animals you're taking care of stays the same. Because suddenly if there's more, well, either we got some babies that grew up really fast that we didn't know about. <laughs> Or there's just random animals. And also, like, probably for, like, disease prevention. And mm-hmm. you need to pay attention to, like, if some are just showing up. 
Yeah, yeah. Which is mostly for, like, birds. It's a bird issue, I think. They, they tend to be among the most mobile animals, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the dedication uh, said, Welcome to a kingdom of animals, real, ancient, and imagined. A kingdom ruled by lions, dinosaurs, and dragons. A kingdom of balance, harmony, and survival. A kingdom we enter to share in the wonder, gaze at the beauty, thrill at the drama, and learn. Said by Michael Eisner. There's some things in that dedication that we'll be talking about how we never see in the park <laughs> later on. Uh-huh. Uh, there's foreshadowing in there. There's foreshadowing, yes. Why Why build a park like this? Mm-hmm. Why Why is this what they did? You know, we, we had Disneyland 2, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you want to boil it down. And then this mishmash of two ideas that made Epcot. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, a working studio slash theme park together, which is a really audacious and cool idea. Mm-hmm. And now, glorified zoo? They don't like it if you call it a zoo. Okay, I'm just I devil's advocate here. <laughs> There's several things here. You know, nature was always a part of the Disney history. Mm-hmm. Walt made all those nature documentaries. True life adventures. Uh Yes. Yeah. Which were very uh, groundbreaking for the time that they were released in. He did mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that people were not doing. The way these went down is that he, he just sent people out to get reels and reels and reels and reels of footage of animals out in their habitats. Yeah. And then gave it to a team of editors like, okay, watch all this, cut it together into a narrative, mm-hmm. and then we'll pay someone to, to read narration over it. Yeah. Uh, and people thought nobody in the world is ever going to watch this, and they were wrong. They were very wrong. <laughs> um, he And it sort of invented the nature documentary. Yeah, and it was something that wasn't being done in such a way. He was making it accessible to people. There's some amazing stuff out there. There's so many um, of them that he made mm-hmm. within his time. Um, there's the fact that... Uh, Walt uh, always had an interest in bringing live animals to parks. He actually mm-hmm. wanted, like, the Jungle Cruise to originally have real animals, <laughs> um, but they did not go that route. Imagine an actually educational and not funny Jungle Cruise. Yeah. Because if it's real animals, you're not going to be cracking wise. <laughs> I don't know. You totally could, but... I think that would be disrespectful if the animals can hear you. Um, <laughs> Maybe. Well, then there's, uh, you know, there was Discovery Island, which mm-hmm. was kind of a small predecessor to this. Right. Uh, with animals and education and le- learning. It was a learning opportunity to go see animals within environments. But the main thing, mm-hmm. the Walt Disney Company, as I said, was trying to make Walt Disney World the resort of all resorts. So you wouldn't have to leave. Mm-hmm. The Magic Kingdom was a great success for every like families of all ages. Right. Epcot was a total flop with children, but, but adults loved it. Yeah, you can drink there. Yes. Uh, MGM Studios had just opened, so it was kind of Too- didn't know what it was going to do, but it was the thing that was going to be fighting against Universal's right status. So now what they needed to do was fight. So no one would ever go to Bush Gardens in Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The hope was creating a place with animals would be another place that would capture children mm-hmm. and their their interest. And another place for kind of an all ages family 
park like the Magic Kingdom, um, but also taking a conservation route. Right. They were v- very big on conservation, especially. So so the fifth gate, though, will make sure that nobody needs to go to New York anymore. They'll, they'll have a tiny Empire State Building. Yes. That's 199 and three quarters of a foot high. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they'll have a Broadway that's just like doing Frozen Live over and over again. Yes, exactly. Uh, Now, before being called the Animal Kingdom, there was a time where it was called Disney's Wild Kingdom. Yeah, let's get wild. Uh, But there were trademark issues. Um, Mutual of Omaha owned (laughs) the rights to Wild Kingdom, or like the name, um, Mm -hmm. and it was attached to a long syndicated TV show. Okay, well, what was this Wild Kingdom show then? Basically like an early Jack Hanna Oh, okay, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, people doing stuff with animals mm-hmm. in the, like, 1950s, <laughs> 60s, yeah. All right. Yeah, sponsored by Mutual of Omaha, so probably a lot of, like, insurance commercials in there. Did they sell mauling insurance at the time? Maybe. All right, cool. It's probably not with your typical homeowner's uh, homeowners insurance policy, but an add-on. Right, right. You know. I make sure my my policy always includes uh, coverage for Stampede. So leading up to the opening of Animal Kingdom, and even to this day, mm-hmm. there's uh, anytime there's something dealing with animals, there is always a lot of concern uh, over it. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely organizations that will protest it. It's it's a tricky <laughs> it's- balance to strike between you know. Uh, the inherent harm in putting animals in captivity compared to the uh, education and conservation uh, activities promoted yes. by a, a, an institution that's well run, at least. Yes. It's definitely had a history with that. There are a lot of things, though, that do make what they do there and what they have set up for the animals a very, like, good environment. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be in captivity, it's a good environment. <laughs> uh, and some of the things are the fact that... The, if you're going to put her in a home, make it a good one. Uh, some of the things are that the animal like habitats are large and open mm-hmm. and, and very... Created in a way that's very good for the animals. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially like along the safari aspects of it, like... The animals have, you know, acres mm-hmm. to be able to roam. And again, this this is why it's the biggest yes. in, in land area. That's not area guests can go on. No. no. Yeah, it's 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 animal areas. Animals are no longer being uh taken from the wild unless uh population is dangerously low that intervention to save it is happening. Mm-hmm. Then Animal Kingdom along with other zoological institutions are getting involved mm-hmm. um but it's not a practice that they have done basically since opening they, it, they aren't sending out trappers into the yes. wild uh instead they are participating in a lot of uh species breeding programs um they are an accredited member of the association of zoos and aquariums and they are part of 34 species survival plans to restore depleted populations and this can be seen also in an endangered species reintroduction program they've done Mm -hmm. with white rhinos in Uganda. The first white rhino to be born at Animal Kingdom was in 2006. This rhino and another one were taken to Uganda's Zwi Animal Sanctuary and gradually reintroduced. 
And in 2009, that baby rhino had grown up, you know, and had its own baby rhino. Oh. Uh, and it is the first white rhino birth in Uganda in 25 years. Well, that's good. Yeah. I, that is, that, that, that's strong work. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's good things happening. And I think one of the things that... I mean, I still, I remember the Discovery Island bit uh, uh, on our last Disney episode. So I'm just waiting for a room where birds are like grilled alive or something. <laughs> this is, I don't have those stories. Okay. All right. They haven't come out in the open at least yet. Um. <laughs> Over the years, the the educational aspects that they've really focused on, on mm-hmm. trying to not only make it an entertaining place, but an educational place um, for people to learn. A lot of the stuff that they, uh, even like attractions that they built, were very heavily into conservation in kind of weird ways, <laughs> which we're going to get into. I'm excited. To the extreme, like... I'm going to stop <laughs> interrupting and making jokes just so we can get yeah. to those faster. Um, but a couple, I don't know if you noticed this when we were there, that there are no plastic straws, lids, or balloons within the park. You know, I think I noticed the straws. And now looking back on it, you're right, there's no balloons. But yeah. 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 It is also the only park to have outer doors into the restrooms. Uh-huh. And that is just in case an animal gets just loose and people can in. go well people can like lock themselves in bathrooms <laughs> until the situation is over. Yeah. It is the only park that has that. What if the animal's really cute though and you want to go find it? They probably discourage that, but <laughs> you know. So, uh the park is divided into seven themed areas. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about those areas and some stuff within it. Uh, the the first area is the oasis. I'm surprised this counts as an area. It's like an anteroom. So it- the oasis is like the Main Street USA mm-hmm. of Animal Kingdom. It's to transition you from the parking lot, buses, into the feel of the park. There, There's lots of vegetation and some small animal habitats that you can view along yeah. the way. Like, I... I may have sounded dismissive a second ago, but I appreciate that there's very little there. It's it's just this liminal state that does just sort of like switch your brain around yeah. until you come around a corner and then... And then yeah. you are suddenly in Discovery Island, which is where uh, we see the big tree. And that's when it hits you. Yes. Uh, which Discovery Island is like the central hub. So in the Magic Kingdom, you have the castle. That is what this is. Uh, it connects to other sections of the park. Originally, this was called Savari Village, mm-hmm. um, but they renamed it after Discovery Island and Bay Lake closed. And also because a lot of people kept getting confused and thought that's where you got on the safari. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a somebody <laughs> messed up. It's not. Yeah. Somebody get on it. I've always had like a... A conspiracy theory, I guess you might call it. Yeah. That they renamed this area Discovery Island to sort of, like, hide the original Discovery Island. So people don't, like, realize that it's still there. Yeah. Go under the cover of darkness. Or to just... that This weird dead end of a, a attraction. Just sort of shuffle it in history and, and bury it in the SEO yeah. of this... The, the central hub area of a much more popular and successful and never tortured birds uh, <laughs> sort of attraction. Yeah. Well, let's remember, some of the uh, Discovery Island uh, habitats did make it to Animal Kingdom. Yeah, and 
now I, I want like a little movie about a family of animals that like got left behind and they have to, you know, swim across the lake and like, oh, go under the monorail. And That's a they movie have to, that would make me cry. They have adventures and then they get their new condo in Animal Kingdom. There'd be something traumatic in that. Fall <laughs> my eyes out. Uh, but anyways, uh, Discovery Island includes the Tree of Life. Yay! Which is not real, in case you thought it was. It's not a hologram. If that's I mean, you... it's not like a real tree. Oh, okay. It's a fake tree that's 145 feet tall <laughs> with 325 carvings of animals on it. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. You can spend a lot of time just like walking around the tree and trying to find them all in some sort of like where's Waldo situation. Yeah. But Waldo's an iguana and an antelope and a penguin. Yeah. You want, you want to know what like the most ironic thing is? What is that? What is the, the irony? The tree is made or engineered from a refitted oil platform. <laughs> now that's recycling. Yeah. Uh, it's just so weird to think about. Yeah. Like, So inside the tree is a 400-seat theater that has Tough to be a Bug. A nine-minute 4D show with audio animatronics that I will never go into again. Because they poke you. It's like bugs are on you. Spiders come from the ceiling. <laughs> oh, I hate it. But did you know that it opened seven months before A Bug's Life came into theaters in 1998? So like your first introduction to Flick and his friends. Yeah. <laughs> like seven months before. Wow. That is a sneak preview. Um. Yeah, so they were they they were looking for something to to put in there, and uh, I believe it was Michael Eisner who actually suggested, "Well, why don't we do this thing that has to do with animals that we're going to be bringing yeah. out eventually? We could do that." The cue music mm -hmm. uh, for it is um, arranged by George Wilkins, who has credits for "Living with the Land," "Horizons," "Living Seas," "Food Rocks," "Enchanted Tiki Room," "Under New Management," "Test Track." <laughs> I'm glad they finally let him out of Epcot. Yeah. 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 Uh, so he arranged it, and it's um, parodies of Broadway songs. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. I don't. I don't really remember it, but it uses bug sounds. Well, the thing is, we weren't in the queue very long. No, because there's walked no right wait up. for that at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, it uses bug sounds, and then they, like, renamed it. And some of them were like, one, from a cockroach line. <laughs> Or Beauty and the Bees. Or this is my favorite. Hello, Dung Lovers from the Dung and I. The Dung Lovers generally <laughs> don't go to kid-friendly parks. <laughs> uh, so then we have uh, Africa. I've heard of it. Uh, this this is the, the themed land of Africa. Oh, okay. Uh, which is a fictional East African port village. Mm -hmm. That's what it's supposed to be. East Africa, like Kenya. We're talking Kenya-ish. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it has several attractions there. It has the Pingani Forest Exploration Trails, which is where you can walk and see various animals. That's where the gorillas are. Yes. And it also is uh, the new home for Festival of the Lion King, because mm -hmm. Festival of the Lion King moved. has moved. Um, and it has the Kilimanjaro Safaris. One of my favorite attractions on all of property. Yeah. Yeah, like it's, top five. It's very good. <laughs> uh, 
So the safari is um it's real it's, it's a real, real safari yeah. you gotta go sort of like i mean the, you... the animals are all imported obviously but the real animals you're on a real truck mm-hmm. they keep their own natural schedules yes so it's different every time it is yes Which it's great i might like blow a little bit of your mind though okay like so the animals don't have access to everything remember how we were wondering like how do the lions not eat everything <laughs> None of the animals are, like, forced to be in their spots mm-hmm. that, you know, we see them in. But there are, like... But they're strongly encouraged. Well, <laughs> and, and they have acres to roam, but it's designed in a way that it's not just, like, one big open thing. There's, there's, there's a lot of, like, ridges and natural barriers. Is that what you're trying to say? Natural barriers. And then there's also um, between, like, the ecosystems that they divided animals in. So, like, lions don't eat everything. Right. Um, is, like road sensors and like bars that just kind of help divide the ecosystems huh? and various other like canyon things and all that. But the, here's the thing with the bars and stuff. It's the path that the trucks ride on is where the bars are. <laughs> so like when you, it's, it's like a sensor situation. So when the path that the trucks have to stay on, which they have to keep somewhat, um, you know, taken care of so right. that the trucks can actually, you know, keep moving along them. It's where they have some of these sensors to make sure that they don't cross into an ecosystem they shouldn't be in so mm-hmm. they can keep living. <laughs> but then they also have, like, what you talked about, natural barriers farther, like, along other areas. Right, right. I kind of, I mean, I haven't seen, like, a map that fully, like, shows this, but I kind of imagine it almost like a spread outward Mm-hmm. You know, narrow towards where the safari route is, but then it's spread out. Yeah, wedge-shaped we- Yeah, areas. like probably wedge-shaped ecosystems, so that way animals end up closer together, but there's the natural barriers and then these various road barriers that we don't see, but that yeah, yeah. appear when you're not in the area, <laughs> to make just to help. So I'm sorry if that hurt the That's okay. a little bit. No. But I thought it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, it's it's like under... That's why you don't see it. <laughs> so when we went on it, mm-hmm. you know, it was very like, and over here's this, and over here's this animal. If you look over here, and here's a story about how we have a baby giraffe right now. And yeah. It was it was very much like just information. Kathy with a K. Kathy with a K. Sound like Minnie Mouse. She's the best tour guide ever. Yes. Originally, scripted portions mm-hmm. of the rot or the attraction. Uh, the, the truck you were on would receive a call that poachers had captured a mother and calf elephant. Oh, you're not allowed to do that. Big Red and Little Red. Uh, then you would come across a point where the poachers would have been captured at gunpoint by another cast member. (laughs) But this was replaced with them being like scared off in pursuit. Uh Uh-huh, because we can't be throwing guns around. And then during previews, uh, there was like a dark ending where uh, the truck encountered the slaughtered corpse of Big Red. (laughs) (laughs) And they decided that was a little too much. Mommy, mommy, look. Look, mommy. So this is one of the things I'm talking about where we get into some like weird like conservation (laughs) things. The original ending of It's Tough to Be a Bug was all of your favorite characters from A Bug's Life choking on DDT and screaming as they die. Yep. So over the years, the the big red, little red aspects 
got less and less. Mm-hmm. After and, Wrigley sued them, especially. And in 2012, just before we were there, they completely re- replaced the storyline. <laughs> and where, like, that was, they they put in, like, more of a zebra ecosystem habitat. Well, that's nice. Yeah. And this also means, though, like, as soon as I read this, I was like, I remember this. Yeah. Like, I remember this, like, weird elephant poacher storyline. Because I was saying to you, like, I remember there being, like, more... Yeah, more more narrative. More narrative and more, like, stuff with, like... It's like, oh, that bridge. I remember, like, there's this bridge you go over and they had this whole thing where it was, like, stuck. And then it was almost, like, breaking. And, like, it almost, like... Pretend like it dropped you and it just like shook some, but you had to get away. I remember having like we were chasing the freaking poachers. <laughs> well, I'm glad you <laughs> helped save the day. Then we have uh, Asia, Heard of which it. Uh, was the first expansion to the park in 1999. So, so just very shortly after it Asia opened. came a year later. Yes. It opened without the biggest continent on Earth. Yeah. All right. It's still missing a lot of continents. Um, and it is also about a fictional kingdom uh, called Anandapur. Uh, and this has the Cali River Rapids, which... Like it. This is also one of those weird... It's kind of weird. weird. conservation things where it's, like, all about deforestation. Yeah. And, like, you go... Like, you're having a great, like, water tube... Ro- like, water rapid ride and then suddenly there's chainsaw noises and all you smell is smoke and like gasoline (laughs) and like then you just see like completely destroyed ecosystems and you're just like what is this and then whoa a big splash i'm wet (laughs) they also have uh another animal trek route where you can see animals Uh, they have Flights of Wonder, which is the bird show that we very much enjoy. Surprisingly good bird show. Yeah. It gets a lot of guff, I've, I've heard. I don't understand. It was, a, it was great. Yeah. And Expedition Everest. My absolute favorite attraction on, on all property. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Expedition Everest, Legend of the Forbidden Mountain. My favorite Nickelodeon <laughs> game show. Uh, it did set the 2011 Guinness World's record for most expensive roller coaster in the world because it cost $100 million to open in 2006. <laughs> Worth it. Every penny. <laughs> so so this roller coaster is all about giant Mount Everest yeah. mountain. You're on a uh, rickety uh, train. <laughs> yes. It's going to go up. But then. There's a Yeti that's going to get you. It doesn't want you invading its you territory. Got to give away from the Yeti. Yeah. So the the facade, the Yeti auto or audio animatronic and the roller coaster are like three independent structures. Yeah, it's like three separate buildings basically all like nested yeah. and well, intertwined. And none of them touch each other. That's good. They'd they, probably they, break. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. The the Yeti is the largest and most complex audio animatronic that Walt Disney Imagineers have ever built. It is 25 feet tall. <laughs> it has uh, over 1,000 square feet of skin. I never want to hear something <laughs> described by how many square feet of skin well, it like, has ever it's again. It's like latex. That's so creepy. <laughs> and it's, well, the skin is held by 1,000 snaps and 207, or 250 zippers. <laughs> there you go. There we go. Um. Now, the the Yeti has 
a few different modes. Mm -hmm. It's A mode. When it's in that mode, it should be able to move five feet horizontally and 18 inches vertically. And Um, in a la mode, it's dessert time. (laughs) But it has not been able to operate in uh, A mode since a few months after it opened in 2006. (laughs) Um, It had an issue with its framing splitting. Oh, dear. Um, So it's been operating in B mode since then, which it doesn't move and it just has strobe lights that hit it. It's it's a tragedy. This, uh, you know, the the biggest, baddest animatronic ever made is just frozen in place with wind effects and a strobe light. Yep. (laughs) Um, And it is... They could have just built a sculpture. (laughs) So they have been continuously trying to figure out ways to fix it. Mm -hmm. But the big thing is, is that... They really can't do much until there's a major refurbishment plan for the entire ride. Right. Because it has really limited access to where it is, and they'd have to do major, dis- like, assemble, disassemble a lot of things to be able to even get to it. You'd have to peel hundreds of square feet of mountain off. Yes. And then carve away the support structure inside the mountain. Yes. And, yeah. And it's something that still, like, gets brought up at, like, different D23 expos and mm-hmm. stuff where they're, like, they're, like, we're trying one day. Like, the one of the Imagineers is, like, it is my, like, life mission to get this thing to work again. Is that Joe Rohde, probably? I think it was a lady, actually. Okay. I don't remember, though. Joe Rohde is, like, one of the head guys in the design of Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And he recently tweeted that you know when he handed over his passport at like customs on a trip the customs officer asked him so when are you going to fix that yeti (laughs) nice (laughs) yeah it's sad it's really sad and uh people might remember we talked about him his early work on the explorers club yeah 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 so we also have Rufiki's Planet Watch, mm-hmm. which used to be called uh, Conservation Station until 2000. Uh, and it is... Conservation Station is one of the places you can get to from Conjunction Junction. Conjunction Junction, what's your function? Yeah. 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 Um, it is the one place that is not connected to Discovery Island. It is only connected to Africa. <laughs> and you have to take a train... To get to the three sub areas of Rafiki's Planet Watch, and it's uh, much more of like an educational place. It's time for learn. Yes, the Wildlife Express train that takes you out there. Uh, <laughs> Don't tell me that they have like slaughtered sheep, like rotting in the sun or something. No. Okay. Now their original plan, though. <laughs> <laughs> The original plan was to have a train that would take guests through the savannah. Uh-huh. It's part of, like, the safari type thing. Right. But then they're like, hmm, this might be really bad for the animals. What if we hit an antelope? Like, a lot. What if we hit that right rhino we're trying to bring back from extinction? Oh, well, that would just break your train. The <laughs> rhino's going to be fine. So they decided uh, to make it. A t- form of transport. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the train was uh, designed by George McGinnis. He came out of retirement to design it. Now, George McGinnis was the last Imagineer hired by Walt Disney himself mm-hmm. and uh, was lead designer on Horizons, upgrading the monorails, Space Mountain, like 
people love that Horizons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was like a really big thing um, mm-hmm. for that. I like the last piece of history of what he had his hand in was this yeah. train. This little tiny train. That takes you to like a petting zoo and like, uh, the... Nature a, center. A veterinary office. Apparently you can watch animal surgery. I did that once. If Not there, but I, I watched an animal surgery once. Like if they happen to have one, like they, they don't give needless surgeries, yeah. but yeah. I watched a dog get spayed once. What did the dog think? It was unconscious. <laughs> no, it was for a Girl Scout badge. I think it was for my like animal care badge or something. And and then we gotta be there to like as the poor little thing was trying to wake up. We were just like, it's okay. Oh no. You're okay. So another one of the lands is Dino Land USA. Yeah, the best uh, animals ever. Now this is like a more child focused. Land about dinosaurs. Kids love dinosaurs. Um, now, McDonald's was the sponsor for Dinoland USA. What kind of McDonald's doesn't have straws? <laughs> McDonald's had uh, been a previous sponsor with Disney uh, in the late 80s to early 90s. But in January 1997, they entered into a 10-year sponsorship deal. <laughs> for the dino area of Animal Kingdom. Well... For many things, for many actually. Things. It was a multi-divisional, multinational promoting deal for uh, films, video releases, TV shows, and theme parks would be promoted in Happy Meals and in restaurant promotions. So all yeah. the like toys we remember as a kid, the plates, the glass, all the stuff McDonald's did was from this. I'm just imagining the ridiculous Hunchback of Notre Dame toy tie-in commercials. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if you remember those, but they were bizarre. I had some of the Hunchback Notre Dame toys. There's one where a little girl is playing with her Quasimodo doll that she got at McDonald's, and the whole store picks her up on their shoulders and cheers for her. I had that Quasimodo <laughs> toy. I didn't even like Hunchback Notre Dame, but I had that Quasimodo doll. <laughs> this all, it, the wool is being pulled from my eyes. Yeah. It all makes sense all now. All of it. Like, do you remember, like, they used to have plates and glasses you could get. They had the toys that came in your happy meal, and then they had the extra toys you could get. Mm -hmm. Um, All of it. (laughs) Think about this, though. This means that they were not only having to do, like, the good films, but all the flops. (laughs) And this is late 90s, early 2000s. They were starting to have some. Yeah. 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 So this would be 1997 to 2007. yeah. Yeah. So in addition to that, McDonald's sponsored the entire Dinoland USA, along with some other fast food areas throughout Walt Disney World or Walt Disney Parks. Did they ever, like, build a restaurant, though, in any of these parks? We're getting there! Okay, all right. I'm just going to sit on my hands and wait. Uh, McDonald's also became the primary promotional partner with shared exclusive marketing in 93 countries (laughs) and at... Almost 19,000 restaurants. What other countries are left? (laughs) I can't name 93 countries. So, McDonald's name and logo were spotted all over Dinoland, Mm -hmm. uh, including on the entrance. um, Some of their attractions, like the Boneyard, which is a place where you could go, like, fake dig up dino bones. Uh, and, like, the Dino Institute, which mm-hmm. held another ride. These were all held, had signs that said they were funded by grants for McDonald's. <laughs> uh, and then there were various posters throughout Dino Land that were, like, dino-fied for McDonald's. Like, with slogans that McDonald's used, such as, uh, three million unearthed. Ah. Yeah. 
Now, how much of this was just stuff they had lying around in the back, left over from the Flintstones years of McDonald's tie-in? Disney doesn't reuse that type uh, of stuff. Okay. <laughs> uh, all the parks during the steal had at least one restaurant that served McDonald's fries. It would be McDonald's fries, Coca-Cola products, and like Dasani water. Mm-hmm. Like they would have a stand that just had that. Um, and this was, you know, Magic Kingdom, MGM, Epcot, Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a couple that also had larger selections. Animal Kingdom had a place that was called Petroflat Fries for fries. <laughs> Petrofries. Petrofries. And then they had uh, the Restaurantosaurus for dino-sized double cheeseburgers, McNuggets, hot dogosauruses, <laughs> and Happy Meals and Fries. That's still there. It is still there. It's, it's no longer McDonald's food. Right, right. But it is still there. A lot of these places, the other places that had McDonald's stuff have been like rebranded, but the Restaurantosaurus is still there as a restaurant. You're not, not going to get a food. better name than that. Uh, Restaurantosaurus was also, uh, they had a Donald Duck character, Breakfastosaurus, which they no now, longer do there. Now you're pushing it. Okay. <laughs> That's a little too much with the, with the suffix. Yeah. So the deal also led to two full McDonald's on the property. One at Downtown Disney that opened in 1997, and one between Blizzard Beach and the All-Star Resort in 1998, uh-huh. which I believe that last one is still standing. I think we passed it on our trip. I bet you're right. The Downtown Disney one only closed in 2010. <laughs> um, and it was So, like, for, for people who are on property, mm-hmm. but with, like, their own car, mm-hmm. they have a fast food option. Yeah. Well, if you think about, too, where they built it, it's really smart because it's between a water park and then the, like, more family economic resorts. Yeah, yeah. Um, So it's, like, a perfect place to put it. Now, with all the McDonald's, like, places that opened, um, there are a lot of people who are like, ugh, this is terrible. Like, this isn't what you're supposed to get there. You're, like, you're supposed to be getting different food. But there are a lot of people who liked it because they're like, well, my kid will eat that. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't that always the way. Um, On January 1st, 2007, the deal expired. Mm -hmm. And by 2008, uh, the McDonald's restaurants within parks were phased out. Um, Take your Quasimodo toys with you. (laughs) Yes. And all including like the signage uh, of various sorts. They can still like choose to, you know, partner for the release of a movie and everything, but mm-hmm. there is not this contractual agreement. They, they aren't locked in. Yes. Considering all the floppy movies that were within this time, it was probably very smart for McDonald's mm-hmm. to pull out. Though it means that we've lost, like, this iconic McDonald's toy time that we had. <laughs> um, I, I bet over the fa- last few years they wish they were still under this 10-year contract. Right? Frozen and Moana, oh my gosh. Star Wars. Star Wars. Marvel's films. Uh, One thing that's interesting is as soon as the contract expired, they went after Shrek 3. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Shrek 3. They were desperate. Shrek 3 was my rebound. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to get back to McDonald's in a little bit, but let's talk about some... uh, other things. So there's the dinosaur ride. I like the dinosaur ride. I would really enjoy going on it again, and maybe it wouldn't stop this time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it did, it did stop for In us. a dramatically deflating moment. Yeah. So the ride was originally called Countdown to Extinction. Oh, that's dynamic. 
Um, and it was an opening day attraction. Mm-hmm. It has the same track layout and uh, ride vehicles as Disneyland um, for Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye ride. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. When they changed the name to Dinosaur to um, match the dinosaur movie that was coming out, uh-huh. that did anyone watch that? I, I watched watch that in it. theaters. You watched that? I Yes. I think I was too traumatized from The Land Before Time. <laughs> it's not great. It was like, dinosaur's gonna die. I don't know how I actually went to see that. Um, what was that dinosaur movie that just came out a little while ago? The Good Dinosaur? The Good Dinosaur. I don't know how I actually went to see that. They kicked that kid's ass. It was ten, traumatic. Ten ways from Sunday. <laughs> and he's covered in bruises by if, the end. It's, it's disgusting. If it's not from the Jurassic Park franchise, I can't see it if it has dinosaurs, because apparently it's just going to be traumatic. Dinosaur was not traumatic. It also wasn't very good. But they re they re themed it to that, though not a lot of things changed. Uh, they did lower the intensity a bit, uh-huh. and like the height requirement dropped by like six oh, inches. Wow! And this was in two thousand one. Uh, so uh, one of the few things left from the McDonald's era of Dino Land is in the loading area of Dinosaur. Mm-hmm. The pipes that are seen above. Right, have the... because the theme is like it's this industrial science lab yes. that has a time machine. Yes. So, of course, there's exposed piping. Yes, that yeah. was originally funded by McDonald's. Naturally. Uh, the pipes have the chemical formulas for burger condiments, <laughs> like ketchup and mustard and mayonnaise. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and those are still there because <laughs> who actually knows the chemical formulas for that? No one. So they don't know what it means. I would recognize one of the biggest uh, ingredients in ketchup, which is to say sugar. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so uh, some of the other attractions in Dino Land is the Boneyard, which I said was where you can dig up fake uh, bones. Fake bones. Uh, the Chester and Hester di- Dino Rama, which is that really terrible roller coaster. No, no, it's not. It's it's like the sub area that's all carnival themed. Carnival in- themed, including including the horrible roller coaster. Yeah. Primeval Whirl. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the Finding Nemo musical. I guess it has to belong to something technically. Yes. It's sequestered. It's kind yes. of on its own. In this area is also Dino Sue. Dino Sue. Which is a cast of Sue. Already a dinosaur. The, the prefix. Unnecessary. <laughs> so Sue wears a T-Rex that is the most extensive and best preserved T-Rex found. Uh, also the biggest. And biggest. Uh, there's 90% of it was recovered. Good job, uh, scientists. It, now, it was discovered in August of 1990 by Sue Henriksen and named after her. Sometimes I forget that Sue's so young. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, like 100 million years old, but... But, like, <laughs> yeah, it hasn't been around that long. Well, and so, I mean, it's even less if you consider, like, on display. Right. Which we're going to talk about a little bit. Sue, the, the, person. the person, was part of a group of workers from Black Hills Institute, and they were searching along the uh, Cheyenne River Indian Reservation in South Dakota. And they had found bones of an Edmontosaurus uh, and were preparing to end their search. Uh, before they were getting ready to leave, they actually got a flat tire. And <laughs> most of the group went to town to have it repaired and like mm-hmm. do other stuff while they waited. Uh, Sue went on to explore, like, 
some nearby cliffs and stuff in the area that they hadn't looked at. She just felt like a nature walk. Yeah. And she found a small bone and then a larger bone in the cliff and saw other like bones protruding out. She returned to camp with a couple of the small bones that she was able to get free uh, and reported it to the president of Black Hills Institute. And they realized that it was a T-Rex and they dug it out. That's what you do. <laughs> and as I said, they, it was 90% of it was there. Previous T-Rexes that had been found were only found with half of the bones there. That's not enough bones. No. You can't do science with only half the bones. Yeah. And they, they did have to deal with the fact that, like, bones were, like, disorganized mm-hmm. and got, like, shifted and stuff. So it wasn't, like, you know, laid out all pretty, like, Jurassic Park makes you think. Yeah. Um, but it was there. Now, after they had unearthed it all and everything, there was a dispute over ownership. Black Hills Institute had obtained permission from the owner of the land, Maurice Williams, to excavate it and remove it. Uh, They paid him $5,000. Now, Williams claimed that the money was not for the sale of the fossil, but only for removal and cleaning so he could sell it later on. Uh Uh-huh. Williams was also a member of the Sioux tribe, and the tribe claimed that the bones belonged to them. Mm Mm-hmm. The property that the fossils were found on was held in a trust by the U.S. Department of Interior. So there was this big, like, who gets this? Who is it? And in 1992, the FBI took the bones from Black Hills Institute and moved them to South Dakota School of Mines and Technology to be kept until all the legal stuff ended. Right. So in the end, William retained ownership. And was returned the bones in 1995. And he decided to sell them. So the Field Museum of Chicago uh, wanted the bones and wanted to attempt to purchase. But they were worried about, like, the money. (laughs) They got support from private citizens and corporations. So they were assisted by individual donors of the California State University system. Mm Mm-hmm. McDonald's, <laughs> and Walt Disney Parks. Uh-huh. And on October 4th, 1997, at auction, it started at $500,000. <laughs> Ten minutes later, the Field Museum had the highest bid for $7.6 million. Wow. And after, like, all the commissions and stuff had to be paid out, it was $8.5 million to buy Zoo. So... If I were to hop over the rail at the Field Museum, they're within their rights to kill me, <laughs> yes. right? Like, yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> no court would convict them. No. They got that Mick money. It does make me wonder if that's why Mc- the they McDonald's always had a McDonald's. The basement. Which they don't have anymore. Yeah. But they did for years, and I wonder if that was some type of partnership thing. Maybe. And then maybe, ex- oh, I, man, I'm curious. Because that was the place we always ate. Yeah. Because they had a thousand seats and it's reliable. <laughs> yeah. Remember the one time at the tornado warning, we had to wait for them to get their fryers back up? <laughs> There's actually like a wait for McDonald's food because they're like, well, we turned our fryers off so we could go to the basement. Yeah. <laughs> with everyone else. But McDonald's also uh, funded two research laboratories staffed by Field Museum people huh. uh, to deal with the bones. One was at the Field Museum. And then later, one was put in at Animal Kingdom. And huh. people were able to observe their work through glass. That's incredible. Yeah. 
And this was in the Dinoland USA area? Um, I don't know specifically actually where it was. I couldn't mm-hmm. find like where they put it. But within Animal Kingdom, it would make sense that it would be within Dino Land. Yeah, there's got to be somebody out there. Folks, check, like, your family's shoebox of vacation photos. I mean, I don't know how long it was open until. That's that's true. That's the thing. Like, I don't know how long it was going. There is a chance it could have been open when I was there. Right. I just don't know. Check your shoebox of vacation photos. Hey, Mom, that's what we're doing over the holidays. They made um, several casts of the bones, mm-hmm. um, one of which is on display at Animal Kingdom I'm, as Dino Sue. I'm sure that was part of their stipulation to, mm-hmm. to back that auction. Uh, two were used on a sponsored tour by McDonald's that traveled across the country. <laughs> and then the Field Museum has one just a half. Right. Some of their cast pieces are the ones that are actually on display. Yes. Yes, they have. the... The bone skull is too heavy to mount. Yes, and so they have that in a special case where you can see it, but just not hanging. Yeah. Fun Sue facts. Uh, Sue facts. Is that uh, Sue is 28 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was found out through examining the bones. She's the uh, oldest T-Rex that was known until 2013 when they found Trix, uh-huh. uh, who was older. Trix, uh, not a kid. Not a kid. Surprising. They were able to discover uh, various injuries yeah. within her, such as um, there's damage in her shoulder blade, torn tendons. She has three broken ribs. Um, the left uh, fibula is twice the diameter of the right, which they think was from infection. Mm-hmm. Um, there were holes in her front skull, which originally they're like, those are bite marks. But it's actually from infection, they believe. Infection that ate away at her bones? Yes. Ah, that's a bad one. Um, Don't get they, that one. They believed it was this um, like prehistoric infec- infection that went after um, certain types of animals and would was completely fatal. Um, and then like some of her tail vertebrae were fused, um, which was typical of arthritis due to injury. Uh, and they thought she had gout. Now, where in the Cretaceous do you get liver pate? <laughs> How does a Tyrannosaurus get gout? Mm. Uh, so Sue uh, has been on, the real Sue has been on exhibit in the Field Museum lobby since May 2000. Mm-hmm. And just recently, uh, it was announced that uh, Sue would be moving to a new floor within the Field Museum uh, with a new addition made for her. And then the lobby would be taking on a different skeleton. The biggest skeleton. Yeah. And now my favorite Twitter account is Sue the T-Rex's Twitter account. Yeah. It is hilarious. Whatever intern is running that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Sue's good. Sue's very good. I told you, McDonald's. Wow. Like, I was going to blow your mind with McDonald's. <laughs> you blew my mind with McDonald's. I didn't think I'd ever live to see the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another another pl- uh, land we haven't talked about is Camp Mini Mickey. Mm-hmm. Which uh, was a rustic-themed summer camp, and it was built as a placeholder for a future area. And at Camp Minnie Mickey, you could meet and greet Mickey and Minnie and other animal friends. And it had the originally housed the Festival of the Lion King, which I said moved to Africa. Uh, it also had Pocahontas and her Forced Friends, a live stage show that lasted <laughs> from 1998 to 2008. Or as we know them, the McDonald's years. The McDonald's years. There were there were animatronic puppets of Grandmother Willow, and, and Pocahontas was the only um, character, and, but she would, like, 
interact with small animals like possums small and actual animals small actual animals okay um it, it, think of it kind of like the bird show but with like possums and rabbits and yeah yeah uh, and originally it was much your, more like your second grade field trip to the nature preserve yeah yeah and originally it was much more like kind of jack hannah animal facts with pocahontas <laughs> but then it became a bit more like stagey oh with like singing and stuff oh. but yeah still about animals what what was supposed to be in camp mini mickey and this is this is a throwback all the way to that dedication that i read something that's missing in this park <laughs> and that is the dragons the dragons they mentioned that's my flame breath noise yeah. that's what that is so originally, they were uh, had plans to build what was going to be called the Beastly Kingdom. Oh, uh, so gauche. Because oh. the original Animal Kingdom plan was to have three types of animals. Those that still exist today, those that are extinct, dinosaurs, and those from fantasy. So dragons, unicorns, various things from legends and mythology. Yeah. Now, Camp Mini Mickey was supposed to be a temporary build until they had the money to build the Beastly Kingdom. I mean, it already cost them a billion, a billion dollars. dollars. They needed to make some money before they could build more. Because, like, you don't need to feed the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. It's a whole other animal, yes. if you'll excuse the expression. As I said, dragons, unicorns, sea monsters, different types of things were supposed to be represented. They were going to have the evil side which would be represented by Dragon Tower. Uh, a ruined castle with like a fire-breathing dragon who, who has treasure. And uh, there would be bats that would rob the dragon. And the bats would like recruit the guests to like get the treasure. <laughs> and this was tied into a suspended roller coaster that would like go through the, the castle and the treasure and just miss getting like killed by the dragon. Uh-huh, uh-huh. These bats have a death wish. I'm not into that. <laughs> But I, I do like dangly feet Everest, basically. Yeah. And then there'd be the good side, which would be the quest of the unicorn. Ooh. Um, you'd be, like, trying to seek the hidden grotto of the unicorns. <laughs> ah. uh, and there would be this... Uh, There's always a grotto. <laughs> well, the ride would be uh, fantasy uh, or Fantasia Gardens, which would be a musical boat ride through se- the animal scenes of Fantasia. That's cool. Which would have been cute. Yeah, the the little flower fairies from Vivaldi and the, well, the like, doo-doo-doo. The hippos. Yeah. The, the hippo dance and, like, aren't there pegasus? Yeah, there's the pegasuses and, and little fawns yeah. with their flutes. Yeah, yeah, all those things. After this got, like, really nixed. Yeah. Like, no, it's not going to happen. The budget says no. It, the, in fact, the budget is laughing at me. And we're probably never going and, to get around to this. And now the budget is crying and it's... it's <laughs> Frankly, it's a shame. I shouldn't be telling you this. So the Universal creative team brought on some of the Imagineering talent who had worked on concepts for this land. And some of the ideas could be seen in the Lost Continent land at Universal's Islands of Adventure. Oh! Uh, They had a Dueling Dragons coaster, which very much was like, skip the dragons and stuff going on. Uh, Now, this was recently renamed for Harry Potter world theming and is uh, closed in September, actually, because they're going to build something else there for Harry Potter. <laughs> um, and then there was also a flying unicorn family coaster 
that is now themed for Harry Potter's Flight of the Hippogriff. <laughs> uh, but those are things that were very much ideas that were being used at Disney. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of like things like landscaping and you know what what sort of mythology do we draw from? Mm-hmm. Yes, because it's all you know public domain. You don't yeah. have to. Fantasia's not the only Pegasuses in town. We got it. None of that happened, which still makes me so sad. But they... And there's still a dragon on the sign. Yeah, it's the last little bit. It makes me sad. And Camp Minnie Mickey's not there anyways anyway anymore. What is there now is Avatar Land. And that's all we're going to say about that. Pandora, the world of Avatar. Yep, that's all we're going to say about that. Okay, it's your episode. It just opened. It's not history yet. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Gotta wait 19 and a half years, then I can talk about it. <laughs> I, the, the reviews are stellar. <laughs> yeah. I went to Animal Kingdom in 1999 and 2000. Mm-hmm. So very shortly after it opened. Yeah. And you could tell it was very shortly after it opened. Yeah. It is amazing to see it now because, like, the vegetation oh. has just... I mean, it was there, but it seems like it, like, they've carved it within this vegetation. Like, they carved yeah. out the spots. Back then... It just looked planted. It looked planted. Yeah. It had not grown yet. It had not filled the areas. And even just, like, the the safari, from what I remember back then, we, saw, we didn't see that many animals. It wasn't as, like, incredible, because also mm-hmm. the vegetation. They also just didn't have as many animals. They didn't... These were all new animals. Their animals weren't, like, having babies yet. There weren't lots yet. (laughs) And now it's, like, it's so different. It's amazing, like, how much it's changed. Now, in its short time that it has existed, we have lost a land and gained a different one. Uh Uh-huh. And, of course, there's been attractions that have actually completely disappeared, too. There were um, some some riverboats that used to exist. Ah. That would, like, cruise around the, like, lagoon, around the tree and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, Discovery Island is an island, after yes. all. And those were, like, an opening day attraction. Um, and you could get on from, like, two different areas. And they would actually do, like, onboard, like, animal encounters with, like, Aww. like little lizards or something. Aww. But so while you were, like, looking at stuff, there it would be educational. Uh, then it changed in 1999 to, like, Radio Disney River Cruise. (laughs) That sounds like nothing I'd want to go on. I remember when they were really pushing Radio Disney. You know where they were doing that? McDonald's. Yeah. You know why? (laughs) I remember this. You know why? Yes. (laughs) The Radio Disney didn't go over so well. It like closed like a year later. There was a lot of confusion about like, is this transportation? Is this not transportation? Are we going somewhere else? Are we going to the same place? It confused guests. Because like the train, you can get off at a different place. This, like, where are we we going? Yeah. There was also a parade that opened it called March of the Animals. And this parade is very interesting. There's some really great um, concept art that I want to link to. All right. Um, Check the show notes. But it was called March of the Animals, and it was designed by Swiss artist uh, Rolf Nee. Uh, And it was uh, an informal celebration by the... Fictional artists of Safari Village became Discovery <laughs> Island because it was supposed to be like the the people who lived there. This is, yeah, yeah. Uh, there were no Disney characters or music. 
in this parade. Uh huh. So original music or like no music whatsoever? No, no music. Oh wow. What it was was like people in animal costumes, but they were like very creative animal costumes, and like sometimes it was like animal human hybrid stuff, like. Uh-huh. There's some interesting stuff where it's like, okay, top half is zebra, but now I just have regular human legs. Or like, I'm this animal, but you can still see my head, uh-huh. too. Uh-huh. So it's avant-garde furry convention. Yes. Okay, cool. Then it became March of the Artimals. <laughs> that is garbage. And abandon a storyteller joined the parade. That is a bad portmanteau. Uh, that ended in June 1999, and they sometimes, though, would still continue to use the costumes, like, within different stuff within Animal Kingdom. Oh, okay. And this was replaced by Mickey's Jam and Jungle Parade in 2001, which is what we saw, which was really cool. That's it had a... really cool puppets. Yeah, their their like... floats were basically giant animal puppets. Yeah. Very stylized, very neon colored to, you know, pop, but... They were amazingly neat yeah um yeah somewhere between a a puppet and a mobile sculpture yeah i i feel like in a way it's almost very connected some of this concept art that i saw for this march of the animals Uh um though very different just like the style of it seems very similar um but that parade ended oh It, it closed very recently stopped it and that makes me very sad and now it's actually it has no daytime parade I guess because they're so focused on their nighttime stuff? Yeah, I think so. They've only recently become, started opening in the evening. It's a very recent development. And I think they are more pushing evening programming. Yeah. Stay around for the evening show. It's it's not like they have regular roads throughout Animal Kingdom. (laughs) Yeah, They're very limited on what they can do in Mm -hmm. a parade, which is why those cool puppets were neat. Yeah. There's been a lot of change. (laughs) <laughs> in such a short time. That's really what I gotta say about Animal Kingdom. Did you learn anything? I did. I, I learned about the power of corporate uh, sponsorship. Yeah. I learned about synergy. Yeah. And how it makes dinosaurs happen. I think what's really interesting, corporate sponsorship has always been part of Disney. Yeah. It's always been a thing within it, the park. It's come up in every episode we've had. But you kind of think of it as more of an earlier thing. Like the 80s, the really (laughs) early 90s, even before that. But you think of like Kodak and like all these, especially Epcot, like all the stuff at the beginning of Epcot, like everything is sponsored. Or Monsanto in Tomorrowland. Animal Kingdom's new. You don't think about it actually having like sponsors, especially nowadays where there's not as many sponsors. Right. Or they're not as... In your face. In your face. This is such a major sponsor. Yeah. (laughs) And the fact that... The sponsorship, they're only, it's only this one area of the park, but that sponsorship deal is so massive, is such a huge part of well, the... just one part of this park, but every part of the whole multinational company. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's yeah. like, like the influence it had on our generation, yes. our childhood... Our, our tween years. Our tween years, yeah. Not really our childhood anymore, but our tween years. And the fact, though, that it was like... They had sponsorships previously, too. It's insane. <laughs> it is insane, like, how much how much of yeah, what, yeah. like, we remember is because of this partnership. But yeah, th- thinking back to our uh, intro bit, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, we only spent one day of our honeymoon in this park. Mm-hmm. 
But I loved it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's weird to say, but I think it might have been my favorite park. Because it has, like I say, two of my absolute top attractions. But the theming is so natural and extensive and detailed and just perfect. Yeah. Like, if you go find, say, an interview with Joe Rohde... You'll know it's him because he's the guy who has, like, his whole dang keychain hanging out of one of his earlobes. <laughs> That's Joe Rohde. Just talking about how much time was spent traveling all through uh, South and Southeast Asia and yeah. China, uh, collecting all of these details and aesthetics. and, and Which it, is something I very much left out now that I think about it. I did not really <laughs> talk about the process of designing it, which was extensive yeah i the, the process is apparently letting this one dude take his team on months and months of vacation to go sketch people's clay jugs they leave in the backyard yeah like, <laughs> well and you're so, like it is so it, it looks so lived in and real well like you're walking down some of those like paths that are like more the open uh animal habitat viewing areas yeah and there's so much like random detail of like yeah these clay jars are what they're supposed to look like that is really cement and it's supposed to like and it looks old it looks like someone did like accidentally leave it there or fell and broke right there yeah there there are stories being told in just objects places Mm -hmm. or the the tree outside the restaurant that has all of those cloth streamers hanging out yeah that's tied to some like nepalese funerary tradition i think i can't recall but it's it's some actual cultural practice Mm -hmm. that also looks really dope in a breeze Uh (laughs) it's it's very very beautifully designed park and i think as i said even more so now yeah that it has aged Mm -hmm. it has grown more beautiful with age (laughs) because you're dealing with things that grow Mm -hmm. things that reproduce (laughs) like uh, another fun detail is, like, in the African village, there's graffiti of, like, an off-model bootleg Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Exactly what you might expect to see uh, in some country without strict copyright protection. Uh, yeah. R- rather than making, you know, a perfect on-model copyright yeah. Mickey Mouse, which is a, a fun... It's it's a playful way of of maintaining the the two themes, I guess, going mm-hmm. on. Well, while while we just reminisce about the the proper way to perform cultural appropriation, <laughs> uh, we'll be right back with your letters. Five minutes to show time. discussion yeah off the air all about uh uh solving cultural appropriation oh yeah that one i i forgot for a sec (laughs) (laughs) so now it's time for those letters yes yes the prompt for this week was Uh favorite animal fact yeah and i learned so much just from these letters 
Yeah, because I didn't really talk about the actual animals, so someone else has to. Uh, so Peter sent us an email going off of uh, our mention of owls having one ear higher than the other. Uh-huh. Uh, they also mentioned that owls have cylindrical eyes. They cannot look around, which is why they move their heads so much. Whoa, that's gross. Peter also talks about spotted hyenas. Um, they are a very interesting species because their sex hormones are reversed. Uh, testosterone pr- promotes muscle growth and aggression, but is the feminizing hormone, well, the reverse is true for estrogen mm-hmm. of them. The, the birth canal of the hyena is apparently fused. They exit the clitoris. Great! Yes. I love it. That's, that's weird. Yeah. Uh, and porcupines love to be petted. This is something I did know. I have seen those videos. If you have not seen a video of how much a porcupine just wants to be pet, you need to go watch those. If I could get a career as someone who just pets porcupines. Well, the thing is, porcupines don't give people money or, like, benefits packages. (sighs) They get so excited, and they make such cute little noises. They make the best noises. Oh. Thank you, Peter. Mechion writes in for the first time, uh, but they were with us during Gextra Life, Woo! during which they shared plenty of animal facts. So here's a few more. Uh, number one, sloths like to break into outdoor toilets in order to find human poop to eat. I'm upset with this fact. Uh, the closest relative of the kiwi bird is the extinct elephant bird from Madagascar. Their shared ancestor was able to fly. Though both the kiwi and the elephant birds are flightless, they lost that ability independently down down the, the chain of Aww. evolution. Dianecarus was a dinosaur we only found its arms for originally. <laughs> Some gigantic eight-foot-long murder arms. <laughs> And then when we found the rest of the dinosaur that goes to those arms, it's just sort of a goofy, duck-beaked weirdo with feathers and just ate a bunch of plants. Yeah. Thorny devils, a type of Australian lizard, can put their foot in a puddle of water, and their scale pattern is such that the water is dragged up along their body to the mouth to drink it through capillary action. Physics is cool. I want to be a thorny devil. That's awesome. You're the thorniest devil I know, darling. I want to put my hand in water and have it end up in my mouth. That's what cups are for. But not straws. (laughs) Fact number five is Mechion trying to kill me because I do not speak Greek. The biggest flying creatures ever were the Asdarkidae pterosaurs, the relatives of Pteranodon and Pterodactylus. The biggest of these, Aramborigiana and Quetzalcoatlus northropi, could stand around the same height as a giraffe, and with a wingspan roughly that of a small plane. Dang. They had a cousin called Hetzigopteryx, who didn't have as long of a neck, but instead had a much longer beak and a stronger build. Mmm. <laughs> the type of build a pterosaur would need to hunt and kill dinosaurs. It was a big, murderous, heron-ish lizard bird uh, that ran like a horse and ate like dinosaurs. <laughs> it's a greatest hits album all yeah. in one. Yeah. yeah. So thank you very much, Mechion. Porin wrote us 
Fern's back! Fern's back, everybody. So I was thinking of you, and I'm very glad to hear from you again. Fern's favorite animal uh, was one they found while working at Hokkaido. Uh, the Ezomamanga flying squirrel. And it is the cutest thing ever. You are so right. Oh, my goodness. And it can fly. It can fly. I did do a lot of... <laughs> Well, I kind of like silently did it. I was doing it like the pitch that only Moki could hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Perrin. Final Gamer would like to teach us about the Corvid family, everyone's favorite black birds of, of torment. Crows can remember human faces and yeah. tell other crows which people are good and which are bad. There was a long-term experiment done where mass humans would mess with crows so the crows would attack those people specifically. Then the mass humans were attacked by different crows that weren't part of the study from other colonies. Then the children of these other crows would attack the humans. So yeah, they, they held grudges, they warned others, and they passed this down to their young. What I'm learning from this uh-huh. is if you ever really want to, like, curse someone uh-huh. and their family forever, you got to get some crows Quack. at them. Yes. And then they'll, like, go murder them for you. Thank you for writing the next Sherlock Holmes story, Final Gamer. Oh, no, this is what, like, Cheryl's going to do on Riverdale. <laughs> next prediction right there, you guys. You should listen to Sex Archie. Kristen sent us an email. Uh, favorite animal fact is that the Portuguese man of war is not a single or- organism, but rather a colony of organisms. A collection of many different organisms organisms to make one creature. You're talking about clitorises and organisms? And oh my goodness. I, yep. Organisms. Do I have to bleep organisms? <laughs> I just can't say organisms. Thank you, Kristen. Claritic brings us a very somber... And sad fact, though it's completely hilarious, giant tortoises are delicious. They were uh, discovered and and well-known to explorers and scientists for a long, long time, but it took forever for them to be properly studied and given a scientific name because any sable that was collected came up missing before the scientists could really get down to brass tacks. Uh, Every expedition failed... And the the only record we had was like, um, it was big and delicious, and I don't really know after that. So there were a lot of journals that basically could be summed up like that. They are currently a protected species. Okay. Thanks for writing in, Claritic. James sent us an email. Uh, favorite animal fact is that cats, camels, and giraffes are the only animals who walk by moving both right legs together, and both left legs together. And what is really interesting is that we humans are bipedal, but we act like other animals, and usually when your right leg's forward, your left arm's forward. Yeah. You can do it the other way if you're thinking about it. But, yeah. like, naturally. Naturally, yeah. you want it. I noticed this in camels, and I think giraffes, but, like, reading that cats do it, I'm just like, Oh, yeah. 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 Thanks, James. Riv writes in with a whole stack of outstanding prompts, so let's get to it. Uh, Their favorite historical house is the remaining parts of the House of King Zog of Albania. 
1951, King Zog bought this uh, 60-room mansion on a 260-acre estate, but never had the chance to move in. It was uh, eventually torn down in 1959, uh, except for the pieces that still remain. Now, the, the ruin is part of a nature preserve, I guess, befitting this uh, episode. Uh, and if you go along the trail, you could just go in and around the ruins uh, that are completely grown over. They've become sort of a, a natural standing garden. Their favorite World's Fair is uh, the 64-65 New York Fair. Uh, it was an unofficial one. It, the fair committee did not formally approve of it. Like many World's Fairs, it was a financial failure. Uh, a lot of borrowing in the first season to keep the fair up and running, and that those debts were never entirely paid off. Uh, it was planned by Robert Moses, who was a, a land developer and did uh, a lot of the development, for better and worse, in New York. And there are some remnants remaining, uh, like a giant metal globe and two big pavilions. Every time Riv goes to uh, City Field to catch a Mets game, they... they get to drive right on by you can just reach out and touch some history touch it touch it touch it unless it says don't touch it then don't touch it <laughs> don't touch sue but this letter is rounded out with uh, a favorite animal fact that the collective noun for hedgehogs is a prickle yeah and not only did we get a fact about hedgehogs we got a picture of eliza riv's hedgehog this is so cute. Yeah. Thank you very much. I would totally get a hedgehog uh -huh. to be Moki's sibling, yeah. but Moki would totally try to eat it. And neither of them would like and that very neither much. neither one of them would come out of it very well. She'd be like, can I put this in my mouth? Yes, but I shouldn't. <laughs> but I did, and I'm going to do it again. Thanks to everyone for all your, your emails this time. They were great to read. And, darling, if people would like to write into the show for uh, anything they, they might like to get read on air, any sort of question, comment, story, or following up with the prompt, where can those go? Podcast at gmail.com. That's right. And speaking of prompts, for our next episode... Yeah, what's your prompt? I want to hear everybody's favorite lawsuit. <laughs> yes, I okay. do. Okay. Go ahead and, and send that or whatever else you, you might like to have read on the, the air to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. You can also get in touch with us on social media. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. And those are all at History Honeys. Mm -hmm. And you should follow Moki the Dog on Instagram while you're at it. That's Moki under dash the dog. <laughs> She's very cute. I post a lot of pictures. I would like to wish all of our American listeners a happy Thanksgiving mm -hmm. and uh, apologize to all our Canadian listeners because I don't think I mentioned it last month uh, for y'all. It snuck up on us. It snuck up. Canadian Thanksgiving came and went and, and I missed it. And you, you can use Thanksgiving mm -hmm. whether you celebrate it in the United States or you live somewhere else as an opportunity to tell a friend, tell your family, yeah. spread the word. Of history, honeys. There's something in our 40-episode catalog for everybody, I think. Maybe you want to tell them about spotted hyenas. Maybe you want to tell them about uh, children burning to death in an attic in Calumet, Michigan. Or all those children that died on that boat. 
Or in that theater fire? Or hey, Epcot, or what's up with that? tuberculosis. Or shipwrecks where a lot of people died, but there's music about it, so you can all sing a nice song about it. It's very uplifting. I love you, dude. <laughs> but in any case, word of mouth is, is a wonderful tool, and it helps us grow, and we, we do appreciate it very much. Another thing that helps is uh, we would love it if you gave us a rating and review on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, etc., to help us, us expand and, and share the love that way. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the few listeners that we've met, like, in person, yeah, Chicago comic artist Adam Photos mm-hmm. is currently running a Kickstarter for his new comic featuring Goat and Dragon. Uh, if that sounds familiar, we uh, talked about him briefly in our C2E2 recap. Yep. Uh, he is someone I have bought comics from previously. Annually, enjoyed- practically. Pretty much. If you are... Are just hearing about it now or heard us talk about it then and you were like oh that sounds cool now is a great time to uh check it out and help support a local small business owner basically yeah kickstart their next book yep and you'll see that link in the show notes and right next to it is an etsy store where you can find uh all sort of wonderful knit goods sewn goods and other soft crafty things and a special place to, to do commissions, too. Yes. And that is a store by the name of Mad Fuzz. That's Etsy.com slash shop slash Mad Fuzz. Yes. The holidays are coming. If you haven't got the hint, that's Elena's store, by that's the way. Mine. That's mine. It's mine. She makes that. I make it all with my blood, sweat, and tears, and love. And fingers. I think there's more fingers. More, there's mostly a lot of fingers. But yeah, speaking of the holidays coming, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a great time to get something handmade and one of a kind. And if you are looking for a custom job, now is the time to get those requests in. Yeah, they take time. They take time. We're almost to the brink of not being able to do them. <laughs> Though I'm always open for like future ones. There's, Just if you I want mean, it by a certain date at the end of December. Right. Time is of the essence, people. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with, with your honey. honey.